We're continuing our study of Ephesians and come to this section of Scripture, which is actually a a parenthesis. It's a digression. Uh, It's an aside or a little rabbit trail that Paul goes on and is actually one of the more difficult passages to preach on. And uh, hopefully uh, we can make our way through it and draw some things out of it. Uh, But it is very important, and because uh, it... it, uh, tells us some things that we are well acquainted with, it's easy to uh, greet these matters that are being addressed here uh, with, uh, well, you know, a shrug of the shoulders because it's, it's something that we know full well and practically, I don't know how many of us are Gentiles here, I would say probably the vast overwhelming majority of us. So we can uh, appreciate what's being taught us here by the Apostle Paul. As I said, it's a, a parenthesis, an aside, something that uh, he, he digresses to. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a digression from the flow of his argument, what he's been talking about. If you look at verse 1 of the passage, he begins, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. But then he breaks off to explain something else, and he doesn't pick, on the, pick up on that something else until verse 14. And then he goes back to the words that he used in verse 1. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He goes into a prayer for the Ephesians. And that's actually what he's about to do in verse 1. But he stops and he talks about his imprisonment and his ministry. What is it that made Paul break from his main thought? Well, if you look back at the end of chapter 2, you can see that Paul was explaining to the Ephesians that they were separated from Christ. Uh, Verse 12 alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So you've got this division between Jew and Gentile which was very prevalent in those days in that area. And of course, uh, to begin with, the gospel went to the Jews And now through the Apostle Paul, actually beginning with Peter, and then through Paul especially, the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. Well, this caused a lot of controversy in the church in the first century. Controversy we don't have anymore because uh, we're 2,000 years past this. And we know that people from every tongue and tribe and nation are included in the people of God. And it's not just for, for one group of people. So he's telling them, that the dividing wall of hostility, God is bringing those people together into his church and forming one new man, and he's dwelling in both of them by the Spirit. So you're no longer strangers and aliens. Now I'm going to pray for you, Ephesians. That's where he's going with his argument. So he's told them that they were excluded, and now they're included, and he's about to pray for them, and this is what he says, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, 
which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy and inspired and inerrant word. It says here in verse 12 that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Well, let's go with boldness and to the throne of grace now. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word and think through what Paul has written here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us your word. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. We pray that this gospel that Paul speaks of uh, would be embraced by all who are here. The good news of salvation uh, would be indeed good news for us as individuals, us as a church, and that people would value it uh, throughout the world, that you would grow your church, that more people would, would uh, bring glory and honor to your name and sing your praises and live for you and bring, uh, and bring light and life into the world. Lord, we pray uh, for all of us here that, that we would have ears to hear your word and a heart to obey it. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering today. Lord, Paul suffered and he went through many difficult things for his faith and because of his calling. Lord, we pray for those who are, who are suffering for righteousness' sake, whether they be missionaries or whether they be Christians who are under uh, duress. Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up before you and pray that, that you would help them to be faithful in the midst of their trial. Lord, we know that it's all according to your plan, and you actually, according to Revelation, have a, have a number of martyrs uh, that you've marked out for you. And Lord, we pray that you would be with them, that they would bear a faithful testimony. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully for you. Uh, and help us to be bold and not be afraid of the trials and difficulties that might come along with living faithfully for you. And Father, for those of us who are suffering because of our, because of our own sins, not for righteousness' sake, Lord, we pray that we would learn the lessons that you have for us that the consequences of our sins would help us to live uh, holy lives and that through your word you might motivate us to a life of holiness. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving today, for those who uh, have experienced loss this year, especially during this holiday season. We pray that you would bring the comfort of the Holy Spirit into their lives and this message of salvation would be a comfort to them in their time of sorrow. And Lord, we pray for those uh, who might be ill uh, who might be going through some physical problem. We pray that you would minister to their needs as well. And Lord, we also, as your word commands us, pray for our, our government and our leaders. And we ask that you would help them to rule according to your word with, with faithfulness and truth and justice, that we might pass our days peacefully. And Lord, we thank you for providing everything that we need. Through your word, we pray that you would equip us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, have you ever felt discouraged or weary and exhausted, like giving up? Have you ever lost heart? I'm sure we all have experienced that at one time or another. Paul was writing this letter to his Ephesian friends from prison, tempted, I'm sure, to be discouraged and to lose heart. But as we read here, he had done anything but lose heart. He was very encouraged, and he was seeking to encourage the Ephesians. He had actually lived in Ephesus for uh, three years and was very close to the church there. And the last time he visited with them, we read about it in Acts 20, uh, he is telling them that he is going to Jerusalem, and it's probably going to be the last time that I see you, Ephesians. And he assures, he's assured by the Holy Spirit that when he goes to Jerusalem that he will indeed be imprisoned and that afflictions were awaiting him. And he goes on to, uh, in his final speech to the elders in Ephesus, to encourage them uh, to be faithful elders, to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And Paul says, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. So you know, possibly... Uh, Well, this is exactly what happened. Paul went to Jerusalem, and uh, his opponents, the Judaizers, had him arrested, and uh, he was was a prisoner uh, of Rome, ultimately. And uh, possibly the Ephesians had already experienced some of these things that Paul had warned about, uh, the fierce wolves coming in and dividing the church up and and some, some of the controversies that come when churches, when that happens in churches. So this has happened to Paul. And and Paul is writing to these Ephesians from prison to encourage them in their faith. And so he's been talking about all the spiritual blessings that they enjoy uh, as being included into uh, the people of God. And all the promises are theirs, the inheritance is theirs, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is theirs. They used to be alienated from God and now they're not. Uh, Now they're, they're part of this people and God is doing a great thing in the world. He's building up his church and he wants to pray for them and he says I'm going to pray for you I Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and that causes him to stop because he wants to explain what he means by that a prisoner of Christ Jesus some version I guess our pew Bible says prisoner for Christ Jesus in the original language it's uh, of Christ Jesus either way it means the same thing Uh, He doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Nero or a a prisoner of the Jews who had actually gotten him arrested, but a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of or for the sake of the Gentiles. He's in prison because of the ministry that he has, because of what God has told him to do, and that's what he's explaining. I'm here in this prison, don't be discouraged. Verse 13, he's explaining it. He says, I'm in prison, and here's the reason I'm in prison, and I don't want you to lose heart because I'm in prison. 
You know, it's easy to lose heart, especially as a Christian in our day. Uh, you see, we see people being imprisoned for their faith. Throughout the world, we see uh, the, the church being divided and split and controversy and we see false teaching uh, rampant, and it's easy for us to get discouraged and lose heart in our day and time with the church. But Paul is trying to combat that for the Ephesians. He's saying, don't look at my sufferings, don't look at my imprisonment, and be discouraged yourself, because they're, they're probably going through controversies themselves in, in, there in Ephesus, and then they see their their great dear friend Paul who ministered to them for three years being thrown in prison and they're probably going, you know, when it rains, it pours. When something goes wrong, it just seems like everything goes wrong. And so Paul's saying, look, don't lose heart. This is all part of the plan. This is what God is doing in the world. Now he begins by talking to us of a mystery. You see the word mystery there uh, four times in the verses 2 through 13 especially in the first three or four verses, six verses. Uh, I like to read mystery novels. I particularly enjoy Sherlock Holmes. The problem with mystery novels is that once you know who done it, uh, there's no more mystery. And the pleasure in reading the novel uh, is to not know what's happening and not know who done it and finding out at the end. Uh, I like Sherlock Holmes because there are a lot of short stories and there's so many of them. By the time you finish reading all of them, you've forgotten who done it so you can go back and do it again. And you, you, you still have the suspense and the surprise for the most part. But when we encounter the word mystery, uh, we understand it as something that is hidden. We don't know, you know who the murderer is and then we find out and it's no longer a mystery. But the Bible doesn't use the word that way. When the Bible uses the word mystery, it's not a secret which remains an enigma to us. Paul doesn't mean that, but what he does mean is, is a mystery. This mystery that he's talking about is something which has always been in the plan of God, but which has been obscured in the earlier chapters of redemptive history. So what Paul is saying is that there's something that has been revealed that was hidden and, uh, and, it, and we call it a mystery. And now it's being revealed. We still refer to it as a mystery, even though we know it full well. It's been disclosed. But the, using the word mystery helps us understand the process that God goes through in revealing these things to us. He begins in verse 2, talking about being a steward a stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. Paul is in prison because he's a steward. Uh, he has been given a commission, uh, a trust. God has given him something to do, and he's doing that. He's telling them about this. I have this mission that I'm on, that God has given to me, and that mission is... To, to share this mystery with the world. This mystery was given to me by revelation, this insight. It was not his own discovery. God revealed it to him. So this, this mystery is revealed to him, 
It was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And it's now been revealed by the Spirit, through the, the apostles, people like Peter and James and John and Paul. So they have been given this new insight, uh, something that God is doing that was hinted at in the Old Testament, but has now come to fruition in the New Testament. And he tells us in verse 6 exactly what this mystery is. Verse 6 tells us, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And we say, well, duh. Of course, we know that's true. But that would have been revolutionary in the first century. It was revolutionary. God had worked through Abraham and his offspring, through the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, and, and they identified themselves as the people of God, rightfully so. But now, after Christ has come, as we see on the day of Pentecost, the word is going out to people from all over the world. And in, uh, in, in the early part of Acts, Peter is encouraged to go to the Gentiles and to meet with one Gentile in particular, Cornelius. And at that point, we see some changes being made. And then Paul comes along, and God specifically points him to go to the Gentiles and take the message all over. And the Jews who were against Christianity really, really did not like that. And so that's why Paul was arrested. But it was because of something that God has told him to do, to go to the Gentiles and tell them that, yes, they're heirs together. It's no longer Jew and Gentile separate. They're heirs together. They're, they're going to inherit something wonderful from the Lord, uh, all these spiritual blessings that he's been talking about. They are members of the same body. There's a, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. So they're, they're one people, one body of Christ. And they, just like the Jews, are partakers of the promise. All that was promised to them is to you, to you Gentiles now. So by faith, as Paul says in uh, Romans and other places, Galatians, we are, even Gentiles, people who have faith are children of Abraham. So... We're all one. And that was, that was this mystery that was revealed. And Paul was given the task of making this known in the world, of taking the gospel. It's through the gospel that this is happening. This message of salvation, that Christ died for sinners. He's taking the gospel out. And when people are joined to Christ by faith, they are heirs together, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. Then in chapter, uh, verses 7 through 12, Paul goes on to describe this ministry that he has. You know, he's been given this mystery by revelation, and now he's taking it out. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. And that word minister is sometimes translated, and it's probably, uh, well, it is translated as diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon from. Uh, it, it means to minister or to serve. A servant would be a diakonos. The picture you get uh, when you see this word is one of a waiter serving tables. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was taking the gospel that he'd gotten from God 
and he was taking it and giving it out to others. He was serving it out like a waiter might. Put the food on, on, your, uh, on your table after you've ordered it. He was a steward, or I mean a, a servant of God, uh, of the gospel, taking the gospel out to the people. And it was by the working of his power. God was doing it in him. It wasn't something that uh, he was doing under his own strength and own power. Uh, it was the Spirit working through him, God working in him. And he was given grace to preach to the Gentiles, it says in verse 8, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The unsearchable riches of Christ. See, Paul is in a prison, and he's not discouraged, but he knows what he's, he's, he's doing. He knows what his purpose is, and therefore he's, he's going out and he's doing that. And he's faced a lot of opposition, and he's, he's in the process of undergoing suffering. But what a privilege he has. And he's not discouraged, and he doesn't want anybody else to be discouraged by the sufferings because God has given him the opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So see, he's, he's taking the message of the gospel out to the Gentiles. Revolutionary and difficult, as Paul was experiencing. This is all part of the plan, he goes on to say. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. See, he was carrying it out, this this. this a commission that he had been given. And all of this is part of God's plan, part of God's process of, make, of being uh, people, his people's God and having a people for himself. And that's the promise that he made from Genesis to Revelation. I will be their God and they will be my people. And now we see it's not just this little group in the Middle East and in, in in Israel, it's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's gone all, it's gone worldwide, and it's really beyond anybody's uh, hope or expectation. Uh, it's really shocking, and it's just showing God's wisdom. In fact, Paul says that the reason, the reason that he does this in verse ten, is that to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light this mystery that the Gentiles are included, so that, verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's really an astounding statement. Through the church, because of who's sitting here right now this morning, we are demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God to the angels in heaven. That's what that verse is telling us. See, the angels are their creation. They see God in all of his glory. They serve him and, and serve us. And when God included the Gentiles in the plan, when he expanded it worldwide, 
It was a demonstration of God's wisdom, among other things. His manifold wisdom. And that word manifold is, is a word that uh, in, the, in the classical Greek, it refers to the beauty of an embroidered pattern or the variety of colors and flowers. You know, the, just the richness, manifoldness of God's wisdom on display. And the angels are appreciating it. They're looking at that going, wow, wow, look at God's wisdom when they see Jews and Gentiles included into the body of Christ together in one. That's really neat when you think about the angels. And it's repeated in Peter in, his, in one of his letters where he says these things, this, this gospel of grace is something that angels long to gaze into, to look into. Because they're not objects of grace. They're heavenly beings and they don't have a sin nature like we do. and They're not objects of redemption like we are. And so when they see God's grace being poured out, they worship him all the more because they see how he's, his love on display. They see his wisdom on display and they're appreciating that. Think of yourself that way. You know, we sitting here are the showing the wisdom of God. God's got a plan. He's executing that plan. Now, don't be discouraged, Paul says. Uh, He's saying to them, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. When we go through discouraging times, as we look out around us, when we see the world, when we see the decline of Christianity, it's easy, as we said before, to lose heart. But Paul didn't lose heart, even though he was really suffering in prison and will eventually die for his faith. He did not lose heart in the midst of those trials because he knew God's plan, God's purpose, God's wisdom, God's love, God's grace. He knew this message of salvation. He knew the bigger picture. And sometimes when we get discouraged, we lose sight of the big picture. We're tempted to say, why God? You know, this is not fair, or, you know, why is this happening to me? Those might be some legitimate questions to ask, but our faith needs to rest in the fact that our hope is something beyond this world, beyond this this earth, the new heavens and the new earth, when God will renew all things, when he'll bring everybody together, all of his people in one, and live together in eternity with no more sorrow, no more crying, and as Paul said, you know, the, 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 the minuscule, small sufferings that we go through, you know, there's, they're nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul enumerates his sufferings in another place, in, in Corinthians, and he talks about being beaten and being flogged and being stoned and left for dead. And he calls them light and momentary troubles. Those are not light and momentary troubles that he's going through, but he says, compared to the eternal weight of glory, they're nothing. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's rejoicing in his sufferings, even in the midst of his prison. He's rejoicing in what God is doing, and that it's all because of him carrying out this commission that he's been given. So when you're discouraged, when you look around, and maybe you're discouraged in your own life, or discouraged with the state of Christianity, know that God is doing something in this world. And even though sometimes you think, what is God doing in this world? When you look around and you see, I'm sure the Ephesians felt that way, with their church under fire, 
and their leader in prison. What is God doing in this world? Well, he is doing something, and it's going to come to fruition one day. And one day, all those questions that we have will go, Oh, I get it. I understand fully and completely. And everything will make complete sense because God is a God of wisdom. He's a God of love, compassion, and his, his purpose is to save a people for himself. And he's included Jew and Gentile in that. Let's pray together.